at the top of the minute. Cool. Top of the minute to you. Top of the minute to you. <laughs> Do you want some salt in your soup? <laughs> Wait, damn it. I wasn't at time, that is. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know what time it is. I just, I just look so at my clock. So much time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'll just look what time it is. Simply. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we do 35, 35 seconds? Yeah. Criminals, thieves, bandits, gang members, low lives of society. Welcome to the Kaboth Killer Chronicles. I am your host, Sarah. And fuck, I think we've already done this bit listing crimes we've done. Yeah, we <laughs> fuck, have. I've got to come up with something new. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Uh, oh, hey, uh, actually, uh, we are here today to uh, exchange our cultures with one another. Ooh. So um, today I just wanted to say that I made some leek and potato soup. And in true Irish tradition, I forgot to put any salt <laughs> in it and it tasted like fucking nothing. But because I'm Irish, I didn't notice until I was mostly done with the soup. But my flatmate was like, why does this taste of nothing? And I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot <laughs> to put salt in the soup. So that's my piece of cultural information about um, myself. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. I'm Janosch. I am drinking a German beer. Uh, so that's... Culture! It's a, this is a Custard <laughs> Schwarz beer, uh, which Ooh. I believe was Goethe's favorite beer. I, I, I feel like I heard that somewhere, but <laughs> that might be made up. People love to claim yeah, things real. as being Goethe's favorite, because he's the, he's the big famous German guy. It's all so. you yeah, have. Yeah, this is Goethe's favorite podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm Summer. And I'm going to work after this, so uh, workplace culture. <laughs> that is American culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm Robin, and um, I've been on a rather heavy week of drinking, so that's your uh, little dash of British culture. I, I heard normal things are happening yeah. in your country. Are you celebrating Liz Truss's resignment? <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm <laughs> Daniel. And there is no American culture, no such thing as an American culture, except overworking. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Dan, like, growing up, so did you, like, always have, like, a Sunday dinner? Like, I think it's an American thing. And I'm like, literally, nobody in America does the same thing. We all just pretend that we do or would like to do the things we've seen on TV. That's so um, true. <laughs> but there is no, there's no standard. There's no anything. Um, we have been lying to ourselves quite a long time. Um, so Easy that's... cheese is not real. It's just made up for TV. Easy cheesy. To, to quote, keep your hands off Isaac. Easy cheesy. <laughs> Easy cheesy. <laughs> now, listeners, instead of reading this book, which God, God help you, not you could just watch. Keep your hands off Isaac. Really, could just watch. Another <laughs> recommendation. So you can just watch one piece or read one piece. I guess we talked about that in the pre-talk. Yeah. Uh, if you, which want we'll the... finish. Before this series does, <laughs> I don't think Good. he's going to do book three. I think, I, I think Patrick n realized that Quo sucks, and now he can't do the third book. 
Yeah, he read like... One Piece and he figured out what good literature was and he was humbled and actually no, Patrick would never be humbled. Never mind, I'll take all that back. No, you read One um, Piece and saw all the like horny uh, boobs in it and he was like, okay. <laughs> I can do that. Whatever, man. I just... He saw what the what how uh Oda draws women and he was like, Okay, I'm taking notes. It's gonna be, gonna be some great discussion. Yeah, yeah, Oda's here. gonna draw the the with Killer Crunkles manga. <laughs> Did you um, say Crunkles? Crunkles. I can't be bothered to say it properly. I love that. The Crunkles. Um, you get one. <laughs> the Crunkle, you get one. Crunkle. Crunkles. Crunkle stand. It's crunkling time. Okay, uh, I'm gonna summarize the chapters this week. Thanks. Um, and then we can talk about them. So we start out with some Dena drama. We find out a bit more about her, and then she and Kvoth have a big argument over her uh, Lanra song she wrote. Then Kvoth gets sent on a your standard D and D intro quest to take out some bandits. They go take out some bandits. A party is assembled. Um, Kvoth has many 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 chapters of like cultural exchange between himself and the Adem mercenary Tempe um, and then they eventually find the bandits and Kvost does this fucked up sicko blood magic and that's that's the end of this section mm-hmm. that's how it. did we find today, today boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty rough yeah kind of like a, a bit of a mixed bag mostly boring I hated the beginning bit um, yeah. Oh my god. And then, yeah, it just it just is a lot of camping. Yeah, it it's, it's so much, and we get these we get like this new cast of characters. There, there's a whole chapter called the players where we get introduced to this new cast of characters, and it was like laughing out loud at just like how much is not even trying. Like I had I had <laughs> such a rough time remembering which one was which one was Dagan and which one was Martin and which one was like. The, the names are like this is like when when your D party is like going in a different like direction than you planned for so you just have to like pull some npcs out of nowhere so you come up with these guys yeah i had to like pull up a character sheet for each <laughs> of these characters just to make sure i didn't get their names confused I think that Dedan and Martin are completely different because Dedan is clearly a fighter and Martin is clearly a ranger and those are completely different. Of course. And and the other one is a woman. Oh, and the woman, yes, sir. Um, I still can't remember the name of uh, some of my high school students, so I'm not going to put, like, time (laughs) into remembering the names of Patrick's fucking, like, made up... These are the names that I make up, like, when it's, like, one of my characters in a session is being an asshole and is like, yeah, so what's the shopkeeper's name? I'm like, <laughs> Tempe. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, his name is Martin, but with a G. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's Martin and there's uh, Tempo and his brother Tempa and they're the one, one of them is a woman. <laughs> one yes, of them. That's the, well, that's the thing, because you have to have Quoth who's the bard. Um, I mean, yeah. as like Sarah said, you have to have the ranger and the fighter, and then you have the woman, which is a whole separate class. Yeah, yeah like if usually you're putting a party together and you'd be like, mm, well, we don't want like two fighters, but actually, if one of them's a woman, that's completely different. Yeah, it's a different, it's yeah, a different thing, different and you class. get like a minus one stat to everything. Yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think there's there's two things I want to point out just real quick for the listeners who are following the the both killer metaverse. Um, not really the metaverse, but like our 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 <laughs> the, the, the Patrick the, news. No, for ourselves, but the podcast, uh, we trade in tropes a lot of the times. Uh, this is an episode, I think, where we're all, like, 
Fuck the Vibes is a boring book. And the secret sub-theme of the episode is why D&D uh, has ruined fantasy writing <laughs> and has made it so that, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, we have, like, 70% of all fantasy writing is just D&D campaigns retold. Like, like it has been a, it has yeah, been a he called it book. the players. What were you saying? I was just saying, like, the chapter of the title was called Players. Yeah. So I was like, he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that was supposed to be, like, a theater thing, right? Like, that's where that... Oh, the dramatic so? persona. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I would think, I think that... It's both. If I didn't know how much of a sicko Patrick was for D anD D, yeah, mm. um, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, there's yeah. also like the last little one of the last chapters where they literally like loot the camp and they get like their it's... they roll the dice <laughs> for the loot box and they like take stuff from the camp yeah. and like they say like oh this may seem a little ghoulish but it is simply the way of the world. Looters become the looted and tide and time make mercenaries of us all. Like. <laughs> I mean, okay, you even just... The, okay, murder hobos. Even the setup of it is just, like, your boss, like, your, you know, your your contact, who is, like, the noble person, sets you to, up to this mission, and, and you accept <laughs> it, and now there's, like, no way yeah. back, right? Like, there's just such a... Such a fucking... Okay, so here's, how, here's what the next leg of the campaign is gonna be. Setup, which is, like, fine, <laughs> but it's just such a boring, like, version of that, right? Like, it's not, it's not the D&D... I, I agree with Daniel that the D and D, you know, D and D absolutely has ruined fantasy writing, but you, you know, compare it to, <laughs> I think we, because we had this theme in book one too that you know, D and D made Patrick's writing bad. This one is just like a particularly lazy version of that. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, like mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe he's trying to do a point and be like, hmm, well, if you were actually in, like, an adventuring party of, like, five people and you went out to hunt some bandits, wouldn't that be, like, really hard and take ages and you'd all get really annoyed with each other and it would really suck? Yeah, Patrick, it sucks. It's like, yeah, I have played D&D with people that I don't particularly like before. I've experienced it. I don't need to, <laughs> to read, what, like, 250 pages of that? Like, it's so long. It's yeah. so long of just them camping and then like when they're looting and everything, it's like describing in detail that like, like Martin grabs the crossbows that after checking that no one else wanted them because he says, "Oh, I'll be able to sell them for profit." I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it feels like particularly cruel for Patrick to be like dragging the reader through like the same monotonous like grinding things that he's having his characters do, just so like it's immersive <laughs> or something. And what genuinely, this made me want to go and read some of the actual like Dungeons and Dragons novelization books because it's (laughs) like, I think if you were doing this and you were just like some shtick being like paid to write about a Dungeons and Dragons party and you didn't have like a stick up your ass about like, "Mm, but like the realism of the narrative, like, I think it would be better. (laughs) I think it would be good. Like, I'm going to go get into fucking Drizzt or whatever his name is. Fuck this. I'm really curious if like something happened. Uh, culturally between the two books uh, or or if the like big shift towards like D&D being like completely domina- dominating the mainstream happened like after this one because this came out in 2011 does anyone know yeah, when the first one came out? The, the first one came out in 2005 um, yeah. but the sort of the D&D cultural shift I think came with 5th edition which yeah, came out in like 2014, yeah. 15 and, like, re- I know like Historically speaking, just because I've listened to Colin Pagetish talk about this, that like the D and D's like 
era came in like 2015 2016 with like critical role and adventure mm. zone and stuff like mm. that um really well, made but... D pop off in the mainstream and this is like a little bit before that i just wonder if like uh if like because I, I remember hearing like when when this book series was hyped up that was like one of the reasons why people liked it is that oh this is when the like if the bard from D was the main character wouldn't that be cool because you don't really see that yeah. Um and I wonder if like that like really went to his head like after the first book came out and now he's like just really doubling down on the D&Dness in a really bad way. Yeah, I mean it, like it's not like D&D was at all underground. Yeah. In this mm-hmm. right. like Well, D&D in this era if I recall right, um this was I mean again this is me like going way back to what I was playing. We're in the midst of 4th edition and all the fights were between like the real D&D players who were playing 3.5 still. Uh, yeah. a, a, a technical thing where you could break the game really easy, and it was you know that was like that was like the last real like math nerds are the ones who love playing D and D era. That it wasn't quite a war game um, exclusive three point five, but it had that sort of vibe to it. And then fourth edition was super kiddie, right? The whole point of fourth edition was like, like I loved it, but like I actually thought it was really really useful to get new players in. But it was really like you had a vampire class, and you basically had like two subclasses let's say. or like the wizard you could be like three types of wizard and the spells were kind of there wasn't much like variation to do and so like that was so there were always these two parts like were you playing fourth edition and if you're playing fourth edition you have a bunch of older players who played earlier stuff kind of complaining or if you were playing 3.5 you're playing a really different type of game um and so i wonder how much like i i wonder what edition pat prefers of that or preferred in that era I'm and sure then, he's talked about it. I'm, <laughs> sure I'm not doing any research. Yeah. I don't want to hear his voice um, ever again. But, um, we could find out. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. So that's that's. I will say. So it's what. But the other thing I will note is that, like, of course, D and D wasn't very pop. Like, wasn't. No, sorry, wasn't like underground at this time. But like, the idea of everyone actually knowing um, what what went on in the D and D campaign, right? You. So everyone yeah. knew. Like, there's. D&D was this kind of vague thing where you, you know, role-playing games, but they would essentially describe, like, a to- somebody, dis- so anyone who talked about a D&D campaign, or they n- have knowledge about it, and they tell you about D&D, and they didn't play it, would essentially be summarizing Lord of the Rings from somebody who, like, doesn't really remember the plot of Lord of the Rings. That's, like, how every <laughs> description of D&D went. Ah, there's some elves and dwarves, and they're kind of fighting to go on adventures and stuff like that. And so it wasn't, the big thing Critical Role brought was not just popularity, but, like, people seeing like, actually in action, the minutia of, of, of a high play, like, a, a well-played, well-organized game, but um, the minutia of sort of individual parts of it. So that, I think, is one of the big things that we don't see in this book. We don't... The minutia here turns back to what we saw in Name of the Wind with, like, the horse and the buying of the horse and that mm-hmm. sort of final sequence and the sort of real nitty-gritty how to, how to actually live in the world almost Dickens-like moments in here and there of these, like, you know, particularities um, coming up. That, to me, signals that Pat is thinking about narrating small parts of a really kind of intense, realistic, quote-unquote, D&D campaign when it hasn't really been done in the popular sphere as much. That's, that's, oh, I, I, so I, I don't, I don't this is a long way of saying, I don't think he's ripping anything. I think he's, I think he is, trying to like be part of this novelization of the D&D campaign for people who uh, perhaps don't know it. So we might be like 
not great readers to begin with because we are so familiar with the Indian. There's a central reality that his books don't read so well right now because we all know yeah. exactly all the tropes of the Indian. Yeah, so. as as someone who had never played again, like reading through the first time, I was just like, oh, this is wonderful. What an interesting way to write a story. <laughs> like, yeah, completely oblivious. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. the same thing. And, and, and so, sorry, one last thing I want to say. So for those of you who have never played D&D before and listen to the podcast or whatever, but you've all read uh, uh, Harry Potter, uh, the, and, the, and how much of Harry Potter you saw in the first book and how it got really mm. tiring because we've all, we all know what Harry Potter is. That's the experience of if you're really familiar with D&D reading like now right where it's like right. this is yeah. this is just standard dnd and it's as boring and types now if you've never read a boy goes to wizard school from a troubled background and does awesome um while there like then maybe the first book actually isn't if you didn't know harry potter i think that was was so bizarre for me in the first book is how obvious this was just harry potter do but a think, little more high fantasy do you Sorry, think in a it. way this was what? like a monkey's paw uh for patrick <laughs> where he's been like this like nerd king like he was like you know fashioning himself as like a disciple of joss whedon <laughs> as like you know becoming this like big like nerd prophet like you know pre preaching to his people on his blog and then obviously Did now monkey, Twitch monkey's Twitch stream did you say monkey's pog? Monkey's pog. <laughs> <laughs> a better like expression. <laughs> it's like the, anyway, sorry. Either the magic, the other card that has a pogging monkey that I shared with everyone before uh, that we recorded, dear listener. So anyway. yeah, shout out to Ragavan the nimble pilferer. I'm looking shout at it because I'm sure I'm sure Patrick like around this time was like yeah, I. Uh, you know, the we're this like secret cool nerd culture, and uh, with him becoming, you know, it, he became really successful with these books. But then D and D became like really successful, like independently. And now, you know, whenever his third book is gonna come out, that's gonna be like for an audience that is like intimately familiar with D and D already mm -hmm. yeah definitely just thinking so about he's like how he's I... hiding under his covers like oh no yeah i'm gonna impress them <laughs> I, I literally i started i literally started watching critical role because patrick went on it and that is like <laughs> my one of the most shameful things i've ever done <laughs> we've no, all been there it's okay yeah. I mean, I think it's it's sort of part of like a trend towards having more nerdy stuff in popular yeah. culture, like in the mainstream popular culture in general, like with sort of superhero stuff where you had all this comic, uh, like really difficult to get into comics because there's like a million different series. And then Marvel movies started coming out like four times a year and it's so oversaturated mm -hmm. and it's so mainstreamed and people are still get like really gatekeepy about it because like they got what they wanted, but they kind of didn't want that actually <laughs> yeah. nobody wanted yeah. this they want to they want to know the most about and it who's to blame them when like the <laughs> like it really is like it's it's a weird cultural thing where like the it was bizarrely mismanaged to like both like marvel and dc still doesn't really understand how to like tie together their like hugely successful movie enterprise with with still like getting comic sales because like the comics market is still like just as confusing as ever they they, they still keep yeah. like rebooting it like every couple of years like i don't fuck it's it's like the the actual comics 
printed by Marvel and you know DC, but like it's it's especially jarring with Marvel because the movies are so successful. The actual comics are just like still in a completely different like universe as the movies. Like they they just don't manage to capitalize on their own success, folks. I'm gonna drag us out of comics talk and back into the book. Tell me what you thought of Tempe. <laughs> We'd love to talk about culture at large. Yeah, we, yeah, we, well, oh, we sure. just we want to talk I about actually, something interesting. So, yeah, you know. I will. I will. <laughs> I will stay this. I will come clean. I actually quite like Tempe. I actually quite like the sort of the nature of the cultural exchange. Perhaps not same. The specific like it just. Finally, this feels like something Patrick has actually worked on and thought about and like put together and like done actual like world building and like he actually has put like effort a into creating somewhere. a culture. Is the culture good? That is still to be decided, but I can it's <laughs> so, there's something here. There's actually something here. No, I agree. For sure. I agree. And it's more interesting than if he just like I don't know, than if he just said, oh, he's weird. I don't know. And he has done that before. Yeah. So it's it's nice having something sort of explained. I do like the sort of expressions through hand signals part. I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I unfortunately know where it goes because I've talked to people who've read the, this book. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, before, <laughs> yeah. before, we get, before we get into the bandit stuff, sorry, do we want to talk about the, uh, the, the, the Dena thing before he kind of sure. goes on his adventure? The oh, thing I kept, I, I kept like saying how much Oh, I yes. yes. <laughs> like just... <laughs> <laughs> the worst part of this section. Yeah, this is, yeah. yeah let's get it over this with. This makes Quoth just irredeemable to me. Like, how do you even <laughs> how do you write this about your main character? Yeah, I don't get right. Like, do you remember when I feel like when we looked at reviews for this and sort of like and the first book as well, like people who'd read both of them and people coming away from these books and saying, "I loved Quoth. I absolutely hated Denna." And I just think, like, how can you read that scene? And yeah. come away like, yeah, Denna's the bitch here. <laughs> Even the book is like, this was too far, Quoth was wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's... I committed the crime of coming away from the books the first time absolutely loving Quoth, so I don't know what happened or like how I just blocked <laughs> these things from my mind while I was reading it. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's definitely a way for, for people to do that somehow. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna actually before we I wanna shout out the chapter before then because Quoth like follows Dana. Yeah. Um because like Justifiably. Honestly, like cause he wants to find out who her patron is because her patron is super sus, so he's like, Oh, if I follow her, she'll meet to her patron. But then that turns out to just like not be where she's going, so he ended up just like following her like a bit of a creep. Um, oh yeah, I was but, being like, sarcastic. <laughs> she's her it turns out that her sort of like downtime activities, to use some Dungeons and Dragons terminology. Or like she picks up like whiffs of girls and like helps them, you know, if they've run away from home, it helps them like settle into basically sex work and sort of like helps teach them some world lessons. And you know, it's not like the greatest discourse on like the nature of sex work and like how to live your life. But like she is doing stuff, she is helping people, she's doing her best. Um and then that kind of leaps us into these chapters where she her and Quoth are hanging out, who she's got her feet sure on. Hope, um, I sure hope Quoth won't call her a whore. Uh, that would be pretty bad. Good news, he well, doesn't. To be fair, he, <laughs> he doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> he considers it. He only thinks about it. That's why it's fine. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it's so interesting, though, because it's like, it comes right after this chapter where 
both watches uh, Dennis save this like young girl from being assaulted in an alleyway by this like strange man. Um, and both sort of observes that he can hear the man in the alleyway calling Denner a whore for like interrupting him. Oh yeah. And then literally the very next chapter, he's having this conversation with her and he's frustrated with her and he's like having to stop himself from using that exact same word, which he uses all the time otherwise anyway. Like we've seen it, but <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it makes I, me go yucky. Yeah, I um, sorry. Uh, I I sort of lost the second there. Okay, so yes, what I wanted to say for here. So what I wanted to ask you all is is what did you actually think as far as like a writing, um, as like writing went? Because like there's one thing of like this this chapter itself. Anyone who's like, oh yeah, I love both. He's like perfect. And I hate Dana. This chapter is like, well, what's or in chapter four? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? But like as far as like. We've kind of been begging for both to actually be like a prick and get his come up and like, or not to be one, but when he when he does do something shitty to get his come up and what do we think about this way of doing it, right? Of of of, of this scene in that. I mean, light. I feel we kind of need to break it down a little bit, like what happens, because because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like there's like different. Again, I mean, he is clearly being a prick, right? But like, what happens yeah. is. Dana shows him a song that she wrote. And then the... In- she shows him her first mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And the internal her heart. monologue is like, quote, start sweating. Because he's like, what if it's bad? What if it sucks? I won't have a way to... I, I, you know, I can't like tell her that politely. But it's like... You know, it's like this, this high tension moment where he's like, oh, I know she's a good singer. I know she's a talented instrumentalist but writing a song it's a completely different thing and then she sings her song and it's like the best song he's ever heard it's uh and he says in in a rare like you know moment of you know this is like this patrick doesn't do this like that much but he's like uh this song you dear audience like mr chronicler and best uh, you all know this <laughs> song because it's the most famous song in the world now yeah it's the bohemian Ra- bohemian rhapsody of <laughs> yeah. both world i dead ass yeah. found bohemian rhapsody when i was like 13 by typing into youtube best song ever like that like that was that, that's a <laughs> truth i was i was like what is i wonder what it is <laughs> this is this is like the universe equivalent of what One Direction was singing about in their song, yeah. best song ever. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> or tribute by the uh, Red Nation. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I almost called them. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, the nice D&D. And then, but, nice but D&D. then, like the way like Quoth reacts is a bit like if we take a if if we look at it like from a perspective of just like let's look at what is there in the book. I think in in that way, the way he reacts is really weird to me. Like I know he's been like a prick like all the time, but it's just I'm not sure all the individual steps of how he reacts like makes sense to me because <laughs> like <laughs> at first he's like what chapter was this again 72 3 it's blood and something is it 73, 73. yeah, yeah. no where is it yeah so he's like at first he's like well i i didn't know what to say because it was so good like he was just stunned but so he had to break the silence right uh so he's like uh and then he says 
in the narration he says uh i still i still try to this day to figure out what i should have said mm. that could have been right but he says that what he said originally which which was asking where did you hear of this material that was where he went wrong which did he like i think it's the thing that he says later that is wrong like i well, so what's the thing he says later that's wrong? I mean, when he gets mad at her, right? Like, I don't... Yeah, when he says, you've got, you've got the whole thing wrong. Well, okay, so that, that to me... So, okay, if I, if I was reading this and I was like, creative writing instructor, I'd give this a B. Because it doesn't fulfill itself, but it's really interesting. Because this is the... What I found really, really cool here. So it starts out with both being a pedantic little shit, like he always... You got the name wrong mm-hmm. for this thing. And that's... That, instead of saying to this woman you love, like, Holy shit, that was unbelievable. Or, or whatever. I'm just gassing her up. Which is what she wants. You could tell. She goes, oh, I know I have some rough spots. But she wants to gassed up. He said, fine. But then what happens is I thought this was like, for the first time, like, Pat, like, allows the history of a character to, like, affect them in a bad way. So it's, for me, it's on page, like, 523 or whatever. But she says, it, it starts with, like, what do you know about the research I did? So they're having this fight about, like, research or anything. And he says, in, in his narration, this is where it starts. It was the same thing my father had done, research story. He started writing a song about La- uh, Lauren, I don't know. What <laughs> Lauren. L- Lauren. <laughs> about about, about Lauren. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. But his research led him to the Chandrian. He'd spent years chasing down half-forgotten stories and digging up rumors. He wanted this so- his song to tell the truth about them, and they had killed my entire troop, but men to it. I looked down at the grass and thought about the secret I had kept for so long. I thought of the smell of blood and burning hair. I thought of rust and blue fire and the broken bodies of my parents. How could I explain something so huge and horrible? Where would I even begin? I could feel the secret deep inside me, huge and heavy as a stone. This, like, story, like, this is a, this is troth, be, troth, both being triggered. Like, literally, like, this is a traumatic memory that's being, like, ripped up in him. And he's like, like, oh, shit. And, like, he begins to respond because he doesn't know how to handle, like, this, these emotions, for a lot of different reasons, I'm not expecting him to as a, as a you know, 15, 16-year-old, um, by just lashing out. And I find that to be, like, this moment to be really actually clever. Um, it sucks to read. It's really painful to read. Yeah, it's but kind like, of unfortunate. But it's really unfortunate. <laughs> but, like, you, you have this moment where it's, like, this woman you love, one of the only people that you legitimately, like, care for as much as, like, I mean, there's, like, Ben... And then, you know, who's alive, like Ben and Denna and maybe a few of his friends who like, but like, who you care for. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm like going around collecting stories about the Blue Man group. And like, and both is just like, again, he looks down at the, he can't look her in the eyes right now. He's kind of like thousand yards staring a little bit. And that's when the, like the, the anger kind of starts. That's when the conversation really goes off. I think, I don't know if that's the best way to handle somebody being triggered or having a traumatic sort of memory pulled up. But I think it's not too. So I actually really like. I think it makes me hate him early on, and then as I was reading it today, I was like, "Oh wait, this is actually kind of." I still feel like this is like a way for Patrick to like uh, explain or say like, "You don't know the reasons that your your nerd guy friends are gatekeeping their favorite, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. like their mm-hmm. favorite cultures or whatever." Mm-hmm. No, it's possible. Yeah, my. Um, sort of response to this was definitely it was very much to get the red string out. Um, because you know, 
I'm like, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my god, like, she's doing, like, pro-Lanra propaganda. This implies that, like, her patron has something to do with Lanra. And then she says some stuff about how, like, her patron is trying to, like, make up new answers for himself or ancestors for himself. And she also says, you know, I think it's sort of been established that her patron is probably one of the fucking Chandrian. Um, it's a very Augustus season. And then, move. you know, they say like, oh, Lanra became one of the Chandrian. And I'm like, oh, so her patron is Lanra. That's interesting. Like, I'm getting the red string. Probably. I mean, like, oh, <laughs> there's like plot stuff here. But then, you know, the emotional stuff I kind of ignore because I hate Kvith. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I could see it's there, but I'm like, mm, nah, I'm having fun with my red string over here. Yeah, if Patrick like suggests that something might happen, then it usually does. He doesn't really like have much of the um, yeah, writing his... ability to like lead you one way and then like hit you with something else. So. Yeah. It's not. It's not subtle. It's, seems pretty likely. Mm. Yeah, maybe it looks like it's subtle, but I don't. Yeah, I think I'm if thinking... he says if he applies something, that's just it. I'm trying to um, f- figure out what my problem is exactly or why this doesn't work for me i think yeah the reason i think one thing that i uh oh sorry go on to finish like the reason this doesn't work for me is because like i there's this is never going to pay off he's like oh i'm i'm writing a plot it's never going to pay off these are never going to matter because there's never going to be a book three okay for me it's (laughs) for me it's something else then because for me i i feel like this is a missed opportunity uh, to I feel like you shouldn't have made uh, this like a personal thing for Quoth, the Landry thing. Because um, I... <laughs> How do I put it? He, before before Dana sings this song, right? He's like, ah, fuck, what if it's good? What if it's bad, right? And then it's good. And he can't make a compliment and I, I would like to see that explored. Like, I would like to see Quoth failing to sincerely compliment, like, Dana on her musical qualities. Mm. Like, I, because yeah. t- to me, to me, what it feels like is that it hurts Quoth a little bit that she's so good. Yeah. At something so that, because Quoth is so, he's, he prides himself so much at being the best at everything. But he prides himself the most at being the best at music. Mm-hmm. And Dana is like someone who doesn't have that sort of, you know, history that Quoth has with music. That he, like, practiced playing the lute in, like, the rain in, like, I don't know, when he was, like, completely on his own. <laughs> That's the only thing he had. And then he only had one string, right? Like Uphill both ways. He has this, he built up this myth in his head how much he perfected the act just like by practicing so much and i think it hurts him to see that dana gets this so easily and so naturally like he has dana has something that is like a a natural talent that quote doesn't have or doesn't understand you know Mm. and but instead of getting an examination of why he can't deal with that we have to pull it back to this uh, oh it's because of chandrian that's 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 the missed opportunity to me, I think. This is yeah. a classic case of like just because you have trauma, like that doesn't give you permission to like be mm. an asshole to people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think like along those lines, like and it is kind of like what you were saying, Daniel, about like, well, he is like a fifteen, sixteen year old, um, factually. Um, of course. And I think like 
obviously I would extend more license to somebody at that age, but um, but also he's a fictional character, and <laughs> he's yeah. also kind of like not fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. He's yeah. like yeah, maybe if he he's a competent thirty-year-old yeah. who, for the rest of the book, <laughs> prides himself on his mastery of words. He can do heart of stone. He can master his emotions. He can mm-hmm. keep himself in check when he needs to. Um, and he like mentally calls her a whore. I'm yeah. and I like a stupid whore as well. Yeah. Which I just I think the thing that bothers me the most about it is just the language because it that is not fifteen year old language. At least like mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm sure plenty of fifteen year olds call each other shit like that, but not in like it's just so horrible. Mm. And and it's meant to be horrible. I get it, but it is just ugh, I hated to read it, and yeah. I don't think it it earns it enough because it's not even that he's like you can't talk like when he's saying oh you're you're telling this myth if you do this then you know the Chandrian's going to come after you. I'm worried for you. His thought process mostly, at least what he voices to her as well, is that she's got it wrong. Mm. It's yeah. that it's factually incorrect, yeah. not that she's like going to put herself in danger he's annoyed that she's you know doing propaganda that she hasn't done enough research and and then he like patronizes her and he demeans her and you know and calls her stupid and i just think like that is ugh, makes my skin crawl i did not yeah, for like someone it. who has like apparently so much control over their emotions and their like thoughts like for someone that he allegedly loves yeah. to not be yeah. able to like hold that kind of thought back is like that's that's a red flag. Come <laughs> <laughs> canceling both on Twitter right now. Yeah. I think there's I don't know, I really think there is like a core of something that could have been good, but like Patrick just like fails to it just really fails mm. to like come together as like a cohesive thing. Like I think even even the bits where he's like, You got it wrong. That's not the true story. Even that could have been interesting, but by the by tying it to the Chandrian, it gives I think I think it gives the reader an easy out. Like it gives you an easy out to be like, oh, okay, it's because of his trauma. When I think Quoth is I think it's I think Quoth would have like he is as like he is a parent in a way, like, you know, he would he would have said shit like, uh, here, it's not about what makes a good story, it's about what's true, right? Like, he would say this about, like, everything, like, all history stuff, because he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. For someone who, I don't, maybe, maybe the core thing is that Quoth's character doesn't really make sense, now mm-hmm. that I think about it. Because for someone who is so much about, yeah, this is what a good story is like. Yeah. Yeah, isn't he, he even, like, changing point, his own story? I feel like there's like yeah. in the canon they've talked about how he changes up and like exaggerates his own story to uh, chronicler to make a better story. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I I think the I I hear all your points very well, and I think I I or I think I hear them well. I don't. Know that. <laughs> um, I I don't want to say that I. I um, and as when I'm so much of this book and so much of like I think the start of this podcast, we're thinking about people at beyond the book right we're thinking about pat we're thinking about readers we're kind of like have this constant air of like when we've cringed ourselves or cringed it or wondering why people are reading it i think this moment for the first time i think in most of this book really pulled me in and like i thought about it like as a piece of literature because there's like so many things happening and what, I, and what i mean is like on the one hand you have both unable to unable to 
um, compliment somebody who's better than him because he has this, this overwhelming pride in himself. Mm. The way he does it is in a pedantic way, which actually kind of falls in the character and doesn't start with like him saying, oh, you didn't sing it well, right? So he doesn't lie to her in that sense. Or he doesn't make up a bullshit thing. Then there's this like undercurrent question that I think a lot of the book has been, and like Patrick is interested overall, and that's like collecting stories like old ballads versus the library and old manuscript home, right? That's like a constant running thing in this book of like the chronicler needing to go to get the real story from Quoth and the whole story of Quoth, or not whole story, but a lot of story of Quoth for a lot of the book is him trying to get access to this stable written manuscript knowledge where the truth can be found, right? And so here we have another, like a microcosm of that fight where he goes, I know the truth because I read it in a book and Denna going, I know the truth like your father, because, you know, like your father knew the truth. Uh, because I went on, I've been doing research on this and like talking to a bunch of different people. Like, so we have that interesting long running fight going on. And then we have this moment where both entirely overreacts in like a, 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 a ridiculous way. And, it, and, and, and he does this for what seems to be reasons outside. Like, he doesn't, he's unable to stop and control himself here for whatever reason. And, and I think those moments of unable to. I don't really care if some, in this moment, for the rest of the book, I do usually care. But in this moment, I am made not to care if some shithead will go, yeah, man, I'm just like both. You know, sometimes I just can't control the darkness inside of me either. Um, <laughs> but in this exact moment, for whatever reason, I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I like when characters are unable to stop themselves from doing something for a reason that like, I'm not going to say it's good, but like comes from a place that like makes someone happy. I think that's what I keep like. So all I'm trying to say is like, this wanted me. To, this made me want to think about the whole book. To think about things that are building is building and blah 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 blah. Just for this little moment. Um. So I think I just wanted to sort of put that there. But I also hear it's like both is not a competent character. It's weird that this is that Pat chooses the moment to just like. Um. I have a, like I I have a good friend of mine who just like refuses to watch or say that any movie or or book or anything that has a sexual assault scene in it that's like viscerally described is good. She's like, I'm, I'm tired of reading. It's the whole history of English literature mm -hmm. of women's bodies being uh, mutilated. She's like, I'm just done with it. I don't want to read it. It's all bad. And so in the sense of like any moment where we just have both calling somebody, you're calling somebody or almost calling somebody else a whore and just sort of yelling at her, fighting it with her. And just like another moment where both can just like shit on a woman uh, because fuck Denna. And just like, we're going to have another scene where both like does this type of thing with a woman going back to the Bella, no Bella, but Bella, yeah, yeah Bella. Um, Bella. Seen earlier. Um, to me, I, that's. I think to reject it in that sense is fine. I just. I think there's something more going on here than the than the Bella scene or than other scenes were both being really weird in understanding around women. So, anyway, I do hope I, it comes back. Like maybe mm -hmm. they'll uh, have some sort of situation where Quoth is. Um, distracted by the same kind of thing, but I don't have a lot of faith in no. Pat's writing. So, I mean, I do wonder if, uh, like, this this is a how do I put it? I wonder if Patrick is trying because I I I have a sense that Patrick is trying to do more things in this book, like theme wise. He's trying to put themes in this one. Oh yeah, uh, more than in the first book. But at the same time, the book is much worse than the first book. So <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling a bit with, with this, right? Like in, in, in the, in the awful, uh, Ambrose, uh, side quests action 
you know, we were talking about how maybe he's trying to do a whole thing, like he's trying to do a whole thing about uh, the things that are relevant to you are not the uh, or the things that are worth telling, right, are not necessarily the ones that people remember about you, right? Like with the trial yeah. afterwards. Mm. That's a deeper theme than anything he had in the first book. But at the same time, that section was so fucking bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, a lot of it boils down to the fact that I just don't think it's very competently done. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think, like, I do agree with you. I think it's, it's certainly trying to work with some stronger themes. I just don't think, think for me, I don't think it succeeds. Um, Yeah, I think he's reaching higher and falling lower, like. In in, yes. in in failing to like actually fulfill those themes he is reaching for. Yeah. I don't know. Yep, I I, I agree. This is this at, at the end of the day. I'm, I'm also 100 for it. Like, there's another moment when Pat does this all the fucking time, where you go, "Oh wow, there was something could have been here," and you start thinking about the be- you think about the better book that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and he's just so good at making you think about that better book. Let's just crowd. You have to go read book. one piece to cope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's um, a Platonist. I, what can I say? Pat wants you to think about the world of the, the board of the forms and the ideal of, of fantasy writing. That's the one he actually lived in the interior world. Anyway, sorry. Sam. Before we move on from this section, because I'm sort of g- gathering that we're kind of done here. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I just want to read the description of the dress that Dana's wearing because it really cracked me up. <laughs> of course, yes, of course. <laughs> Today, Dana wore a long, elegant dress, not layered and high necked in the current fashion, but close fitting and open at the throat. It was a deep blue, and when she took a step, I could glimpse a long stretch of her bare leg beneath. <laughs> Did you like the line where he says, I've always found something painfully erotic about the way a woman plays a harp? <laughs> I literally have a note like that. I just like why did this just <laughs> I didn't even have to look that one up, but that one's stuck in my mind. I didn't have to write that down. But oh god. I mean if this if this is a parody of itself, painfully erotic is a very good yeah. line. <laughs> It's like the line, the, like the paragraph after he describes the dress. He's like, "She was barefoot, and her feet were grass stained." So I was like, "God, <laughs> her feet were there." Um, and then there's also a section that I want to shout out in like the next chapter. <coughs> I mean, he's like reading through the Fleetwood Mac rumors of about court. Yes. And he reads about how, like, oh, young Natalia Lackless had run away with a troop of traveling performers. Her parents had disowned her, of course. Blah, 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 blah. This explained Melowin's hatred of the Rue. And I'm just like, why have you written the smartest protagonist ever? And then you've given him the most obvious clue that, like, his mother was a part of this noble house. Yeah. And he, he just doesn't get it. I'm just like, this this is really stretching it. <laughs> Bestie. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, no book three doesn't fucking matter. Who cares? Yeah, I like no that three. he's like, wait, let me. I have to rationalize this woman's racism. Two seconds, like I'll be right back. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. just have her be a bigot. That would also be fine. I mean, I suppose if you know, if there is another book, then it um, it you know, it might come back. But <laughs> something just, might happen. Something might happen. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't fucking know. Is it uh, sort of Tempe time now? If you have anything else to say about Tempe. <laughs> I gotta take a piss, but you guys keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, how how long can you stick around, Summer? I have about three minutes to like. Okay, let's peace out. quickly give us your ten pinions. Yeah. Ten pinions. Um, similar. 
I think Tempe is an interesting character with a lot to offer, but yeah, there is the whole racism issue. <laughs> the the culturalism. Um, and I also want to say, just jumping ahead, I think the lightning shit is sick as hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can't wait for you guys to get there. Yeah, yeah. And, you- um, yeah. Anything else you've got to say about his fucked up blood magic and all that shit? Uh, it's fucked up and it's blood magic. Hell yeah, that's true. All I'm, as well. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm pointing and I'm saying, hell yeah, that's fucked up with the blood magic. Yeah. That's major malfeasance. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's like the the paragraph where Kvothe is <laughs> triggered by his trauma and ruptures his relationship with Dana, has a bad time. And that's like, oh yeah, Kvothe, we love to see our shitty protagonist just like doing something really awful so you can point at him and be like, this guy fucking sucks. Honestly, it's the same with the blood magic, except I'm like, oh, this guy rules. <laughs> yeah, 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 I feel yeah, yeah. better about the, the murder. Fucked up shit. <laughs> it's like, that's what the book is all about, really, in the end. Yeah. It's all worth it. <laughs> Honestly, those three pages are the things I remember most from this book. I, yes, like, I was thinking about this book, and I'm like, I oh, remember when he like called the lightning and like did the yes. blood magic. That's like one of the only like three things I remember about the book. It's so memorable, yeah. and it's like three pages. I like that he does like maniacal laughter as he's doing it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is gonna be sick as hell. He was right. It was. <laughs> he was. He was right. All right. Okay. Because uh, I was going to suggest, let's. I, I I also need to take a break, so. <laughs> okay, let's have a wee five minute okay. break. Perfect. So, Where I won't come back. Say from. our goodbyes to Summer. Okay, bye, Summer. <laughs> bye, Summer. Bye, Summer. I love you. I love uh, you too. Wait, no, you didn't oh, say that to me. I, I also love that. Summer. We'll. <laughs> I meant I, I also love Summer. Love summer. <laughs> I love okay. you also. Peace out, gamers. Peace. stuck in development and Netflix took over 2017 and Paul Feig was hired to direct so that's always that's always great to read about the production what movie is this? Sorry. School for Good and Evil mm. my movie that I made personally mm. Sarah made a Paul Feig is not a real person that's just Sarah's like that's like just one of those names that, that a bunch of people use as a pseudonym I don't know I was really yeah. I was really surprised when you uh Cause I, no, it's how do I put it? Every time I have to Google this movie when you mention it, because I'm like, it was directed by someone <laughs> famous, but I always forget who it is, because it's Paul <laughs> Feig who did like the who did Bridesmaids and the Lady Ghostbusters movie and Spy. No, no, like he he everything else he's done are like dumb comedies. I I will have no Bridesmaids. He did he did I Khaleesi's mean... Christmas. He did Last Christmas. Where oh my uh, god, was that the Khaleesi Christmas movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I he was just some guy in a suit, and I was always, he came through the workroom occasionally, and I kept being like. Who's that guy? Yeah, <laughs> and then someone was like, "Oh, the director was here," and I was like, "Oh, that's who that guy is." I think he's famous for always <laughs> I was like, wearing. Why is this freak wearing a suit? He's famous. For, he's famous for wearing suits. Yeah, yeah. What is famous? <laughs> I want to be famous for wearing suits. <laughs> Fuck you. I like what's he, what's he famous? For? I think yeah, he, he wears what everyone wears. Yeah. Famously. He like, did I'm also sure. he did also co-create Freaks and Geeks, which uh, I am fond of. Uh, but. Yeah, other than that. Uh, Sarah, oh, shit, this is all of us actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just had one. Uh, Sarah, I was watching a, uh, v- a video review of like a TikTok book 
um, the other day because it seemed like a really bad book and I was like, I yeah, want why to would you do that? I want to hate. Um, but then one of the criticisms was that the book talked too much about capes and I was like, I can't relate to finding that annoying. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, was it this book? <laughs> Wait, no, this book talks about clothes too much. Yeah. <laughs> right. This book talks too much. Like, I've just opened my notes on a random page. Uh-huh. Um, mm. It was just kind of sitting there as I... And the, the note, I, I have a, a very large lettered post-it note which says a thing. Uh, I just want to read the section that it corresponds to. Yes. Such was the distracted turning of my thoughts when my dinner thumped onto the table in front of me. I looked up to see a woman's face and well-advertised bosom framed yeah. by a tumble of bright Yeah, clothes. I was going to talk Her about that. Her skin was white as cream with just the barest hint of freckle. Her lips, a pale, dangerous pink. Yeah! <laughs> We've moved on. He's moved on from... Well-advertised. Yeah. She's advertising herself. Oh. I like that it's moved on from... Fuck me, red lipstick to dangerous, dangerous lip, dangerously pink, pink lipstick. Dangerous if pink. We were like I'm going to come out with a line of lipsticks based I'm on this good. book series. What did you say, Daniel? I was saying if we were a, a big podcast, like some podcast house, whatever, we had merch or whatever, <laughs> we could totally run like a line of like a line of lipstick. Rothfuss lipstick, uh, dangerous pink. Uh, <laughs> Fuck me, red. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's also the red that's like it's just naturally natural red, red. Like that, and you sell like an empty tub of lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you just sell a tub we... of lipstick you take the cap off and inside is a roll of paper that just says bite your lips really hard for like three minutes that's the kind of like red bloody irritated look that um, will get everyone frothing at the mouth <laughs> oh, no no it just says get really aroused on your lips just do that <laughs> that's how it works at which point uh, can we be sued for libel by Patrick like <laughs> I don't think he wants to copyright the term "fuck me red lipstick." Because <laughs> I've been, I, I, I still like every day consider starting a gimmick Twitter account that is the women respect a bot that is just gonna send you reminders to respect women. And the profile pic would be Patrick Rothfuss in the Joss Whedon T-shirt. <laughs> it exists in my heart, and it's very good. But that wasn't very yeah. women respecter of you. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. Oh fuck! I haven't drunk my women respecting juice today. God. Oh shit! I thought oh. something was off. <laughs> <laughs> do we have any? Actually, we didn't. Do, we haven't done pats on the backs. I mean, you. We said the lightning shit was. Fun. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's got to be my pat on the back. I don't even have anything to say about it. Like it's it's cool. It was just. It's not. There's I, nothing interesting about it to talk about. It's just. Yeah. Just. Have you ever, have you ever, um, you know the moments in anime, the hype animes where the, like, the classic theme song plays in the shonen action anime and it's like, oh shit, yeah. it's all going down, this is mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. So have you ever, have you ever seen an edit of one of those scenes where there's no music there? No. <laughs> 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 They're really good. There's a few of them. Uh, it's just like you watch it and it's still good, but you're definitely like, ha- more than half my emotion is from the music. When I read this scene, it's the same sort of thing of just like, I don't. I don't have the music in the back of my head, so I'm just like, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That's, yeah, ooh, I mean, okay, yeah. I, perhaps right. the thing to do is to read the scene again and um, play the original soundtrack to one of your favorite animes in the background. Yeah. And see All if right, it what, changes so your opinion on it. What JoJo theme would go best <laughs> with uh, the, the electric uh, Boogaloo moment? 
I mean, it's it's got to be the Vento Oreo beatdown theme. I was I was th- I was thinking of the Jotaro one. <laughs> Vento Wind, name of the wind. Mm-hmm. Happy Rush Minute. You know, it's Vento Oreo, the name of the wind. And which one is that? That's the one I always think yeah. of. Yeah. Oh, that is that is also Golden Wind. Okay. Because it goes jump, jump, Golden Wind. You know. Yeah. Name of the wind. Uh huh. Oh, I can't make it fit. You might be right. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I just like I've been trying to find some good thing because I think my favorite part of any JoJo theme is just from the first one of the. That's a pretty good like way to start the entire series. Yeah. What if um Pillarman theme played? Um, I I don't want to fall in the tropes, and we're gonna talk. We gotta talk about the racism stuff here. That's Tempe's theme. Come on, like that, like, <laughs> like Tempe being a cool badass guy, and just like. Oh shit! I remembered the thing that I thought of like last week that I want to talk about on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's Orientalism, right? Right. Yes. We all know it. We love it. <laughs> we yes, gotta I talk about it. I've got the book there. right in front of me, actually. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've read at least half of it by now, so maybe we'll get to the other half at some point during my lifetime. But, yeah. um. This isn't about Tempe. This is about women. Because Patrick mm-hmm. does Orientalism, but like for women. Okay. Where he's like, women are basically like a different species of person. There's just like no way we can ever understand them. Like they're just like built different. And like the gulf and like trying to understand like the cultural void, like between us, brackets, men, and women is a lifetime of study. And there's no way you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, but I think that that is just like general misogyny. So we rebrand misogyny as Orientalism for women when we sell the book that is pink. Um <laughs> That's all I got for this bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Orientalism I, I, I for like, women. <laughs> I mean, listen, Sarah, I, no hate for that, because I do that all the time. Like, what if, like, it's, like, Orientalism for women, and then somebody goes, you mean, like, sexism? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> like, do you mean the established no. term we have? <laughs> do you, do you, it's like, no, I mean Orientalism for women. Um, yeah, but, but, all right, I will say this one thing. Uh, I agree with you in this sense. So much of Orientalism by Edward Said, uh, founder for women. Uh, of, of, uh, for women, is about, like, how, is about not only, like, a general concept, but, like, the institutions that were, like, built around, like, literally, there used to be, like, or, the Orientalist Department in Oxford, right? Yeah. There's, like, and how, the, how institutionalized knowledge helps lead into the sort of a general knowledge. Uh, there are parts of that book that are, like, that scene in Devil's Devil Wear Prada, where uh, Marilyn Streep is, like, uh, this is how fashion actually gets down to like the lower level. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, Patrick is very interested in the, in the sustained study of why women be tripping. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> in that sense, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe so. I do. I. <laughs> <laughs> it is Orientalism for women. It is like structurally like similar. But I think that the way that, like, Orientalism also (laughs) crosses with sexism, um, it, like, they are not too distinct categories. I think there might be also a term for that. 
Yeah. Intersectionality? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I do think like we we can we can talk about it within a purely misogynistic um yeah. framework, I think. Uh, another sort of side thing. Sarah, did you ever why do women be tripping? <laughs> did you, yes, Daniel. Did you ever finish uh, Orientalism? I, I just remember. Very I got cr- halfway through it. You nice, know what nice. I tried doing? I tried whenever we were doing our Yu-Gi-Oh podcast and we were going through the Millennium World arc. I'd be like, "Oh, this is like a perfect opportunity to like force myself to read Orientalism." And I'll be like, "Is this part of the Yu-Gi-Oh anime and manga Orientalist?" Mm. Um. And then I, it that honestly is kind of boring. It's hard to read, so I, I give up. And we just figured that the Millennium World arc is pretty good, and it's probably all right. <laughs> also, very complicated idea. How do, how does Japanese art fall into sort of the classic Western paradigms of Orientalism? Yeah, it was actually it was stuff. hard, so I give up. Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it's one of the favorite notes I think I've ever read. In response to one of my comments when I was when I was commenting on your master's thesis was just uh, you responded to one of my comments that just said, "Both of you do assume I read this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were like, Sarah, I don't, this wasn't really what Edward Said meant. So I was like, bitch, I ain't read the book. Was, <laughs> I have read it, more of it since then. It was, um, uh, it was, I, it was like, a, I had like a three paragraph comic. And just, again, I just can't slay me. It was just bold of you to assume. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no more on blast. <laughs> I'm trying to see. Okay, so I do have some actual like Tempe notes. Yes. Um, yeah. I Did think- we explain what Tempe does? To the listener yeah, okay, who doesn't I'll, read the book. I'll use my powers of summation to explain it. So there's, you know, there's uh, the in quotes D&D party, he's the bard, there's a rogue, there's two fighters. Mm. There is also, uh, I guess, class-wise, Tempe would be like a monk. Yes. yes. But he's just like a, a mercenary from a foreign land across the mountains to the east. Uh, and he is, Adam is his race, and he like wears all red and like... He's just culturally like different to them and stuff like he won't look anyone in the eye like when he's talking to them like he never shows expressions on his face and like this really like freaks Kvothe out as like I don't know a bard brackets genetically um I mean, this is like the one genetically a bard yeah Tempe is like the yeah, one yeah, yeah. character here who is actually like who actually has like a character sheet and stuff like everything else he just pulled out of his ass like he just filled he, he came up with one cool character like in his mind and then he was, oh, i need to fill a whole party <laughs> so i just yeah, yeah. i put a the woman there like... i guess i put a guy there who is being annoying and talks a lot oh, that's his and then we'll have like trait. an older guy who gets sick immediately yeah um, there's some other stuff Tempe does like Tempe is very like cult- comfortable with nudity and like physical intimacy in like a way that the other people are not like he just like like he went goes and have a bath has a bath and then he just like walks around naked to the camp for like a while and everyone's like oh, what the fuck are you doing and he's just like chilling it's yeah. it's good well, all the um, other men are like I, I cannot look a naked man yeah. like I cannot he perceive goes, a naked I- man with my mind yeah, I noted that bit down because there's like a bit where he he goes and like at the same time I feel so bad for not rem- remembering the name of the woman in the party like that. Hem- I, maybe I'm Hem- the real misogynist. Uh, Hes- Hespy. 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 Yeah. Hespy. yeah. Maybe maybe you're the real feminine warrior. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, but there's a bit where she's like bathing in the river, and then uh, he gets in as well because he like doesn't. 
have the same cultural standards around like nudity and stuff and she screams and then the others come running and like the like big burly guy denon or something den the guy who has a will they won't they with the Dead woman in. that is so grating it's yeah but he, he's there like um he looked like he was trying to figure out how to attack a naked man without looking at him or touching him and i was like yeah fellas <laughs> is it gay to attack a naked man <laughs> it's so true <laughs> Oh my god! I don't. I missed that. I must have. Um, <laughs> no, I, I like, also noted so, that. Yeah. So eventually, Quoth, because he's like quote unquote the leader of the party, he's like trying to get to know people and takes about a million chapters to kind of actually get started talking to Tempe. A lot of this is him figuring out that Tempe doesn't fucking speak English good, which is probably the main reason he's not really been talking much because there's a language barrier here. Mm -hmm. And Quoth, you know, eventually starts learning Tempe's language and, like, teaching Tempe his language. And, like, going great and they're, like, talking more. Um, And then, you know, just there's a lot of Quoth just trying to figure out a lot about the Adam culture. Um, eventually figures out that instead of doing like facial expressions, they do like hand expressions, like Tempe is conveying a lot of emotion by doing hand gestures that just because Quoth doesn't know them because it's a language barrier, it reads to Quoth as like completely emotionless, but actually this whole time, Tempe has been having feelings, but like with his hands and not his face. <laughs> um, and Quoth starts learning those, um, and eventually near the end of the section starts doing Tempe's like little like kata, <laughs> except Patrick calls it a keta. Um, so it's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. He does like a little bit of like yoga tai chi fight training in the morning and Kvothe starts learning that. Tempe like eventually after Kvothe tells like a joke that no one else finds funny but Tempe finds hilarious, Tempe is like, okay, I'll like teach you how to do like yoga good. And they sort of become friends and do cultural exchange and it's quite well written. Is even name- if very slow. Mm. Is his name Tempe because he's temperate? That, do we think that's where I don't know. Maybe. I'm always wondering when is there Somet- Sometimes with fantasy names, I think authors kind of just sit there and say syllables. I, I think um, that's what Patrick does. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's. I do that. J- yeah. J.K. Rowling is famously like all of her characters are just the most on the nose names, uh, except when it's racist and then that's just a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, it it is also. I mean, go back farther. That Dickens did that. Right? There's a the most recent Dickens biopic actually gets it really well of like how he would do it when he's naming Scrooge and they just have the actor on who plays him. Just go like Scrooge, and it's like yeah, yeah, got him, got him. Dickens was so real for that. Dickens, Dickens was so real all the time. Dickens had some good names. Some great names, but also like just go and like read a biography of Dickens, and you're just like, man, this is the most relatable, like, not really rich guy, rich guy, not really. Wait, what's happening here? I've ever as like, as soon as I was informed in like my like year eight English class or something that he was paid by the word, I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, why it's okay. like that. It's still, my so uncle uh, had a professor once in, in mortuary school who graded assignments by the weight of the paper. He had a little scale. <laughs> and it was like this kind of well-known, well-known secret. <laughs> and so everyone would print their papers on, like, cotton heavy stock. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 shit, shit, it, shit rocks. Sometimes you're just like, 
Man, the world's fun. Um, Did we, you say uh, mortuary school? Yeah, both. I mean, you know this. Both my uh, father and uh, uncle were mortuary. That's so cool. Well, yeah, but I didn't think you'd go to school with it. I thought you would just like <laughs> you would just do it, learn on the job. You got yeah. It's like half medicine, isn't it? I thought you'd just get taught how to do it. Yeah, well, so you have to get like a two years degree and then an apprenticeship for to be an embalmer. You can be a funeral director just with like a license thing. You can chuck anyone in a box. That's easy. (laughs) Yeah, but it's true. I mean, it is it is hilarious. I mean, one day I'll tell stories about the the bowels of the funeral home. It was it was wild. Um, anyway, but uh, back to back to Tempe. Oh yeah, we were talking about the name. Yeah, I to me, I I was I was thinking about like. I think Tempe is a bit like boiling the frog with Orientalism because it's like mm. it, at, at first I didn't notice. Yeah. That it, at first I was like, "Oh, this is this is interesting," um, and then because the way I was like reading this section is that I was I, I read a couple of chapters and then I, when I had a chore to do and I was like, "Oh, I need to get finished with it pretty soon." I would put on the audiobook and then I heard that the audiobook narrator doesn't there's a very unfortunate accent. For Tempe. Yeah, um, we, we, we had a brief conversation about this in our Discord while we were reading it, because you mentioned that there was an unfortunate racist accent, and I asked what it was, and you asked me to guess. And um, <laughs> I, it, it was like, just after the point where I'd read that um, his language was like more tonal, like it's mm-hmm. more about the cadence of how you say the words, and I was like, oh, okay, and he does all this like Tai Chi stuff, so I was like, is it sort of like an approximation of a Chinese accent, and you're like, yeah, it is, yeah, which, it is uh, an is, approximation. Which is very funny. I mean, not that, but like the because I also um, ended up listening to a different audiobook of this section towards the end, um, where it kind of, and this is like a free one I found online that isn't probably licensed, but anyway, um, it, he kind of had a, has like a sort of Swedish accent. <laughs> the whole way through which which is which really could also be like if it is like an amateur audiobook it is also possible that they just like really botched doing a chinese accent um <laughs> <laughs> conceivably i don't know because it kind of sounded like he started off as russian and then it became more <laughs> swedish the longer it went on <laughs> fantastic well the in the in the official audiobook by uh this is really like our excitement last episode about the French uh, tag player, and then monkeys ball curled. Now <laughs> cancelled for doing the racist Chinese accent. It is quite bad, the accent he does. But after after I noticed that, and Robin also was like, "Oh yeah," because of the uh, sound based thing in their language or the intonation based thing in their language, I kept reading, and then he started talking about like this way. Yeah. That is the uh, Lithania. Yeah. Okay, this is just a towel. Like, it's just the just... towel. And he does martial arts stuff. Okay, so that's another Orientalist bit. Like, it's just like, I'm not saying the character, like, is immediately, or, like, even the idea of Adam is, like, supposed to be, like, uh, East Asian culture, but, uh, the, it's just, once you start noticing the patterns, it keeps like dipping into these like ideas of cultural stereotype, up. where it's like okay, and the whole like you know the whole like master apprentice thing like gives uh, yeah that you you half expecting him to call both grasshopper in like the next scene um, yeah 
it it is like and i i don't know because he starts this bit with him where he he kind of doesn't speak a lot because he doesn't know the lang- their language very well and he starts like learning it more with Kvothe while he tries to teach him his language but i he kind of gets like more accented and Honestly, it seems like he gets less good at the language the more he talks, which I don't yeah. know if that's just because he's speaking more, but sometimes, mm. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm like, how did you get by? <laughs> so this isn't just a meme question I, or a joke. It, it, I hope it's funny because, you know, I try to be funny. Or <laughs> people don't laugh at me. I, I feel like I'm not worth living in this world. I'm not going to laugh. But like, uh, so, <laughs> but really what, so, okay. So quote does, not quote, Patrick, you know, he, I, Pat. You're welcome. I called you both. Um, but, uh, <laughs> His dream. But, he can turn the podcast think, off now. <laughs> do we think that Pat, if this was made into a TV show, mm. do we think that they would have, because Pat describes, does not describe uh, Tempe as, as looking like he's from mm-hmm. the, the far east of, those, of, of the real world. Uh, do we think that they would cast an East Asian actor, or they would have like a, you know, Kevin Seagal sort of uh, guy doing kind of like a, uh, a, you know, young grasshopper pseudo thing, right? Like, so just like a white dude with black hair. Or something. This is an uh, extremely good hair, question because this is like the type of casting I... where like you can't do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah just... No, I wanna, I wanna add some. Some. To the packet of this because um, Steven spoke Steven Seagal, not Kevin Seagal. Kevin Seagal. Steven Seagal. Because Patrick very much just like there's again there's a bit where Tappy's having a bath and Quoth is like, wow, he's just so pale. And the note I have is like, Patrick, just because you make him really pale, does it make it like not orientalist? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I do I do think that um we're skewing a white actor here, like. But the context for this is the Wheel of Time Aiel, because like, and again, Wheel of Time would be like stock, popular like nineties, early two thousands fantasy, definitely going to be a thing that like Patrick was standing. Yeah. Um. So I feel like in Wheel of Time books there is the Aiel culture, who are a race of gingers who live in the desert, <laughs> right, and they're all really pale and really tall and they are the greatest warriors in the world and they are the country who live in the desert. They live in the desert and, and they're really pale. Yeah, that did. Every day I wake up and it bothers me more. Okay. Um, but like, fine. this is a thing that Robert Jordan came up with and honestly, I don't know what people like thought of it at the time. Like, nowadays people look at it and they're like, eh, that's a bit weird, Robert, and like move on with their lives. Mm, yeah. Um. But I kind of have to assume that this was a bit of an influence on Patrick because, like, the Adam are a race of the greatest warriors in the world and they all live, like, over the mountains to the east, which is the same sort of general description of where the Aiel live in Wheel of Time. So I'm like, okay, it, it seems like a vaguely intentional reference on Patrick's part. Um, and I have no answers here. I'm just very interested to see the direction that the Wheel of Time TV show take with casting their Aiel because so far the two Aiel that we've seen on screen have both been white like gingers um, but that TV show has been a bit more loosey-goosey with like the race casting that's been discourse about it it's been 
honestly fucking hilarious because this just turns out the fantasy fans are oh, racist. Um, who would have thought always that? Is. What? Um, yeah. but yeah, I'm interested to see if they keep making all the ideal white people going forward or if they do some actual diversity um which makes a bit more sense considering the rest of the casting anyway i think it's they could do like a thing where they cast tempi as black so they can sidestep the whole issue by not whitewashing but also like not doing the asian stereotype i don't know if that would work yeah that i think (laughs) feels more likely honestly I, I think it's interesting bearing in mind also that the one, so, so you know, you have Tempe who comes from this sort of what we could, I think, quite fairly call an Orientalist culture. Um, and then compare it with Kvothe, who himself comes from um, a minority, but is like a redhead and very pale and... It it is a sort of real world allegory for uh, the GRT community and like traveler communities. Mm. Um, I that's a really good question. I have no idea. Yeah. I suspect any. I I don't think this is going to get a TV show adaptation. Oh, <laughs> no, Lin Manuel no, no, Miranda is hard at work on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's also because it's also. I think we go to Tempe's hometown soon, right? I, I, I Soonish, we got there yeah. Well, we have to get through the sex fairy chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, so I th- but I think, yeah, so we eventually get there. And I w- so I think that's what's also, like, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, what uh, what happens when you have a whole town and do you want to do, like, this? if it's just one character, it's one thing. But anyway, no, it's, 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 uh, I, um, I think the other thing I want to say in this section is that I, I, this was from an earlier conversation. I just wanted to get this on the table. And something I've sort of been thinking about, not thinking about, but like talking about people for a while, which is very different than thinking. Um, for those of you who listen to the podcast, are very aware that I don't always think before I talk, um, and therefore I just talk a lot. <laughs> like, it's my point. It takes don't a worry, long time. I edit you down. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah good, good, good. good. Um, no, so I, we're talking about sort of nerd culture, quote unquote, coming into the fore, and how this book was kind of part of that sort of like nerd, being a nerd is cool again, right? The sort of mid to late aughts uh, transition there. And how it's really funny to me is that, like, only recently have we gotten in the narrator, narrative of just, like, nerd culture was always just as, like, problematic and shitty as, like, any other aspect of, like, uh, a sort of sub-community, right? Like, yeah. you, have, you have, like, in, in the hard metal community, you have, like, virulent racist black metal groups, right? Like, it, but like in the in the in the, in the hardcore community in the, in the punk scenes, you also had like really problematic people there. You had, I mean, Revenge of the Nerds used to be like the movie that people would point to, of like, yeah, nerds rise, and it's like it's just filled with like sexual assault and shit. Um, and I just find it very funny of like <laughs> nerds rising, uh, and then we see what the nerds have to say. We see what the Patrick Rothfusses of the world I suppose have to say, <laughs> and it's just like, uh, man, this woman, this woman's a whore, and I learned. Uh, karate from Mr. Miyagi, and it's just like huh. <laughs> I love I fantasy. I, you can be anything. It's it's like it's, it's that classic. What's Alistair AKB? AKB? What's his name? Alistair King Bennett? Whatever. Um, <coughs> he has this video where it's just like he does a Doctor Who bit. It's like oh, you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. And it's just like all right, how about London, nineteen seventy four? Anywhere in all space and time. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, how like, about oh, Cardiff, <laughs> 2006? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, they're going exactly. to visit the Yanto Shrine. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Fair enough. So, so they can pay their respects. It's a national monument. <laughs> it is a national monument. We have to respect it. We have to pay our respects to it. I've seen it um, many times. I've paid my respects. Is it still there? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> there's god. Permanent, Jesus. There's like metal plaques there. Holy fuck. It's like the um, one thing Cardiff has at this point. You're the so only mean. thing I know about Cardiff. I want to defend Cardiff, but the way it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I love that anyway, city, but you're kind um, of right. <laughs> So, again, my, because Tempe is, and I think this comes from Patrick's Patrick disease, where Patrick trying to make characters, like, there's literally a chapter in this little section where he just starts listing characteristics of his fellow party members. Yep. He's like, yes. oh, and <laughs> Deb Deppen always wiped his ass after he took a shit. I know that. <laughs> like, he just starts, like, listing characteristics and stuff. And, like, because most of Patrick's um, character writing is so paper thin. It's paper, th- like like the thickness of a character sheet. Um, and Tempe is here and like, he really goes into him um, and like really fleshes out his culture and like gives him actual characteristics and there's just this like slow burn like fucking romance fic about them getting to know each other and like there because there is actual stuff here like compared to the rest of the characters, like I look at all the Tempe stuff and I'm like, this character is the best thing. I bet this is. The- I love this I mean, so much. I... But it's like you... the actual content of it is like, ha- yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Do you that's, know what this re- that's that's my, that's my thing with that is that the uh, I agree in that like when I was you know reading this uh, and we started getting into the learning language from Tempe bit, I was like. Finally, something happens. Like, finally, something that isn't just the most, like, boring D&D traveling party stuff. But once you step away from it, right? Like, once you've finished reading this section, it's like, what, what is really Tempe's character? And what is just his culture? Because I think... I can't think of a single thing... The only thing I can think of where his actual character comes through is when he's laughing at the jokes. Yeah. Like, everything else is just, oh, he's quiet. Well, that's because he doesn't speak the language. Okay. He's fidgeting with his hands. Oh, that's his culture. That's how they speak. Uh, He's very expressionless. Oh, that's the culture because they don't show expressions. They show it with their hands. He's bathing naked. Well, that's the way their culture is about, like, bodies. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what this, it it just like reminded me when you said that, Sarah, of that, um, I don't know if we've all seen Suicide Squad, but do you know, like, how they took, (laughs) do you know how they took so much care to introduce, like, all of the characters with these, like, main title screens and, like, I've seen the Dan Olsen video essay about it. That's enough to know what I'm talking about. Um, and then there's, like, this one guy that they do not introduce with a character screen, <laughs> and then he dies, like, uh, uh, like two scenes later, and we're meant to be shocked. And it's like, well, yeah, was I meant to care about him? And I, I get the same exact vibes from this. What I think is that Patrick heard, um, through Time and Space, our criticisms of Will and Sim, and he said, okay, uh-huh. well, what if I did list off a bunch of facts about the characters? <laughs> yeah. Then surely they won't forget exactly. Um, well, but I will say also just uh, that they, uh, we we all we already talked about how this is like very specifically, or I think very specifically thinking about like cities that it's Chinese, mm. right? Because like the language described is changing based on the cadence of the words, 
So I was just gonna say very specifically, I, so I'm reading this also, like, that's Chinese. And to me, this is also just like, so one of the most difficult things about like China and like writing about Chinese people and stuff like that as an American is that Americans are still like unfixably post-Cold War brain. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and there are, there are exactly two types of Chinese people. Um, the post Mao Zedong masses of, uh, factory workers in million people cities never heard of. And then the ones who don't like Mao and are basically just like, or don't like the whole communist whatever tradition, uh, and are like basically Western. Though, like in the mind of an American, that's essentially every Chinese person. There's a, you don't hear the stories of like the Chinese person who like, you know, works, works, uh, somewhere uh, south of Beijing, and then also just is really, really into, like, uh, figurine collecting or whatever. It's like, it's like that, the, the sort of minute, the minute characteristics of the Chinese person in somebody's, in an American's head especially, it lends itself. So I'm also like, this, I think this is also Chinese in the sense of, like, he doesn't have a personality, he has a culture, exactly as you sort of say. And so, like, why does he do anything? Why does he like being naked? Not because he just likes being naked, like, but because kind of has to. He has this sort of, like, imperative built into mm. him that, like, I must do certain things because, you know, my culture is such a sort of monolithic. And we'll see when we get to the, the town. They all basically act like, like, as though race actually had, like, personality characteristics, like, written. I will Sounds great. Um, disagree, um, but a lot of my disagreement is based on the fact that I have read further on, and I do remember, like, experiencing Tempe within the context, the greater context of his culture where we do get to see bits in which he is different. So like knowing that stuff has helps me pick out from this section, like places where Tempe actually has a personality just because I know more about mm. the Adem. Yeah, um, you you mm. have me at a, and, and Yanosh at a disadvantage here because we've not read that bit yet. Yeah, I, but like the thing I is, I might be misremembering too. So. Like, book go in sequential order, you know. Like this is the point at which we meet this character. This is yeah. how we meet him as. Um, but like I I do think like it does actually like come through, especially in like the later part, like the very end of the section where Tempe uh wants to learn like a little bit of loot. Um. That's fun to like me he, because yeah, he starts exchanging sword for loot skills, and I'm like, oh, that that's I like because he's not meant to, right? Like, as far what yeah. I'm aware of the society in which he is from, just from people who've talked about that part of the book, is that like they have a different concept of what is sexual and what isn't. Yeah, and yeah. so playing loot would be sexual. Yeah, I don't know about sexual, but like intimate. Yeah, and like music and intimacy. Um. And like so, stuff like that comes in, and I just I don't know again more that I know about Tempe, but also the like I y'all are talking about China and like Orientalist tropes, and yes, this is very much Orientalist to me in that Patrick is like, oh, I've invented a culture and it's just so hard to understand, <laughs> but like I have never in all my possibly one and a half, maybe even two readings of this book, wow. I've never read the Adam culture as Chinese or even mm. Asian. Um, mm. Interesting. Okay. Mm. And it, it, that actually could be me having like white person brain <laughs> because Tempe is dis described as pale. If I yeah. if I imagine a human in my mind, they will automatically look like me, and I am white. So like mm. it could be because of that. Um, but it's also just like because there's a lot going on in the Adam stuff. Um, I feel like Patrick has drawn from enough to kind of like mitigate the like 
Bushido and morning tai chi stuff that Tempe does. He has tempered it, um, mixed it in with enough like other like interesting culture stuff that he's come up with to make it more than just like oh. This is China, but in fantasy. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 it, I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't want to say it's one on one China. I just mean to say that I think that a lot of times in fantasy novels, you have like when there's like a, a new race introduced, you can usually, especially in bad fantasy, figure out the <laughs> base real world quote unquote race that, or at least ethnicity that they're kind oh of. My gosh, you guys want to do a David Eddings podcast after this? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> um, oh. and so. <laughs> And what I think, I think it's important just because, like, um, not to say that everything is Chinese, but like the writer will have a different relationship. So again, like you can actually tell when it's a Japanese with a Chinese-based culture and fantasy. There's actually these like kind of subtle changes, and of course, you're always gonna have these variations and these red herrings. Like, it's like yeah, the Chinese don't like use their hands as part of the language. Like that's not part of the Chinese language. Um, but I do think that for Americans at least still, and again, we'll see, maybe I'm wrong as I'm remembering the society, the monolithic culture par excellence uh, uh, in the American psyche still remains China. Like the group of people who they are a mass, a unit, they are uh, no individuals, merely collective, the last remnant of the communist cold era, uh, dehumanizing state, etc. Um, is China. And so I think that's actually, which Japan isn't anymore. We don't, like, we used to talk about Japanese like that in, like, the early 20th century, late 19th century. Um, but we, we don't do that anymore. Um, anyway, so that's, 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 so I'm not, I guess I'm just trying to reiterate that the, the, what I'm trying to say is that, like, I don't think it is just China one to one, but that, like, that's the base is how I'm reading this. And if the readers and anyone else disagrees, that's fine. Mm. It's like, that's. Mm. Mm. I think in terms of like a what was the intent, I think it is interesting that the official audiobook does have a semblance of uh, an, an attempt at yeah <laughs> that that accent because I think that I don't know do authors approve the audiobooks? I mean, I go out? I don't know. Would assume that Patrick would have given some guidelines. I don't know. I don't know how. He seems not like always. Uh. I don't think it's yeah not necessarily. But I think it's definitely, it definitely points to something that this was like, even if the audiobook reader just came up with this interpretation on his own, right? Like, yeah, it is oh, yeah. telling something <laughs> yeah. that this was the choice that he would immediately make. So I'm just, I'm just looking at the Audible reviews now, because we've done, some, some of the one-star reviews are actually like pretty fucking like <laughs> savage. <laughs> like concerning accents and stuff? No, no, not I. I have not come across the accent one. Just like much better than like Goodreads negative reviews, but just like this book is is bad. One person just like this. This book is why Audible has a return. <laughs> um, but it's the second one. The main character is a com. <laughs> <laughs> the main character is a combination of Sherlock Holmes, Harry Potter, Aragorn, and Goku. It's just crazy. I mean, I know we're doing the same thing. Like we're listening, we're reading book two, even though we didn't like the first one. But it's weird how normal people would do this. Like they would, uh, they would read a Name of the Wind, and then they read this, and they leave a one star review. Although the main character is insufferable. Well, that's a bit on you that you kept reading on to book two. We're obviously <laughs> doing a, we're doing this for the greater good. But. <laughs> One one last thing. Uh, good luck and Godspeed to yeah, those who wish to us. waste their time on this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
I don't have much else it. to <laughs> say on Tempe, and we're running late in this. Do we want no, to say no, anything no. about the other party members? There's this this romance is just so annoying because it's like the. I will. I will say one thing. No. I'll say one thing, and it's yes. it has to do with the party nothing. members, and it's more to do with the uh, story mm. that. That was the other thing I was gonna. Oh, add, yeah. woman character Hesby. Oh, what was that? Oh, the screw yeah, one? Yeah, the Jack story that she tells. I liked that. Oh, the Jack story? I will one? confess to thinking... It's the best of yeah. the It's the best of the stories within the stories so far. She, yeah, she tells the, the story about books. a guy who wanted to capture the moon because he was really sad and um, took the moon's name but didn't do it properly. It's, it's, I think it's a good... like. It's very folksy. It's very like what like folk stories are actually like i think he did manage to actually really tap into i like the i like the bit in it that's my my pet on the back is the foldable house that is in that story oh that yeah funny. <laughs> i really? like that he made but but the guy okay but that's a dnd item probably <laughs> yeah actually because oh if this. so then i'll not minus points but i do like that the guy puts the foldable house up wrong and he kind of gets like a flat pack escher staircase out yeah. of it <laughs> I'm thinking of the folding folding boat. Ah. Okay, that's not the same. Uh, there's also an instant, instant instant fortress, but there is a folding boat is like a D and D item that like exists in yeah. current. Fighting. Okay, minus points and probably earlier minus editions. points, Patrick. Uh, um, so I, I can't, I'm gonna be I can't real. Do... I just kind of skimmed over that story because no, I was I I know Pat and I, and I was like, there's no way this is gonna be relevant. I'm just gonna. No, skip this one was kind of good, and this one had this one felt like it has this one felt like it has themes in it. Uh, like it actually yeah, comes, it actually yeah. comes back because, like in the story, it ends with uh, him learning the name of the moon, uh, but he only mm. captured uh, at capturing it like in a box, uh, and he's like, "Because I have your name, I have command on you now." But like he doesn't actually like capture it fully, so that's why there's moon phases. But then in that my... comes back like yeah. a bit later, where he's like, uh, "Where." What the fuck is the name of the annoying he, guy? The I don't know. It begins with a D. He threatens him with his name. <laughs> Daydan? I think either Daydan or Daygan or Devan. Deadan. Deadan. deadened my appetites. Carry on. True. So Pat didn't make this up, I will say, but I the boy whose ass falls off, that hairy wet dog story, hairy dog story. I I love that. That made me laugh. Multiple variations. Daggy dog story. Pat didn't make it up. It, it, there's various versions that go around, but the, just like I fucking love that story so much. I love the like exact reaction. It, it's like the classic Norm Macdonald style yeah. joke, right? Um, and then it just ends, and that that's the moment that Tempe breaks out laughing because he like, understands comedy, he and everybody else in the yeah, party is they're like, "Well, what's the point?" And it's like the point is it's yeah. pretty funny. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. neither. Yeah, I'm definitely. This is definitely like a either a ripoff or a reference to be generous to the Aiel in Wheel of yeah. Time because their whole thing is they have really weird senses of humor. <laughs> mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know the reason that I didn't think oh this culture is based on China is because I was thinking the whole time <laughs> oh this culture is based on the Aiel. <laughs> true. 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 Um, Split so much. That's my pat on the back. I love. I don't. You know. You, you have to make everything up. Good deployment of classic tropes. Yeah, I mean the uh, even the even the moon there. story nice. sounds like I think that is like clobbered together from like three or four like other folk tales because they definitely heard of stories where someone wants the moon. There's and, like three uh, different Greek myths about a guy trying to fuck the moon, right? And he and and in 
She's and just like she capturing the name. I would. It's, but but that's the thing that has been lacking from the previous stories that were told within like within the books, like as like you know story uh, as like stories within the story within the story. Yeah, they're usually really point. boring. Yeah, they're usually boring because usually it feels like Patrick doesn't actually understand the tropes that go into uh, or the you know the way that folk stories are made up, and this one actually felt like it, um, which. You know, it's the bare minimum, but <laughs> it was. I, I was. Pl- I was really pleasantly surprised by that one. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other thing I was gonna say, like related to the to the boy whose ass fell off uh, story, <laughs> is that afterwards, where he's like explaining uh, to Hespy, Hempy, yes, Hespy, that's the woman. Where he's explaining to woman, yeah. <laughs> Girlfriend. Woman mercenary, mercenary that, yeah, my dad used to tell me nonsensical stories as a challenge, uh, but it wasn't actually mean because it got me thinking. And no, then he, like, expl- oh, fuck, he that's explains what... it to Martin. Oh, okay, he explains it to Martin. Yeah, that's why this, this, this character is so fucking exchangeable. He explains whatever, <laughs> he explains that that's what his dad was supposed to do, and then he's like, oh, fuck, that's what Elodin was trying to do to me at the university. I've been a dumbass. And I was like, finally he realizes, like... <laughs> You know, I I was I was I was I was kind of glad that he had that moment, uh, even though it was. He had like, oh, my philosophy of magic teacher was this. trying to teach me philosophy this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> but the real my lessons best. here can only be learned in the school of life. <laughs> Man, my professor um. was trying to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked up. <laughs> how, did, how, how did I know? How did I not notice? <laughs> I. I I have nothing else to say, and it is getting to the point where I have. Yeah, I think we yeah. can wrap up. Wrap it up. Yeah. I, I have. Like, I want to once again reiterate how cool the blood magic section is, but I think I'll just end the podcast and like reread the chapter. <laughs> yeah, Quoth says I'm going to do major malfeasance, and he cuts a guy's throat, and then is like, I will duplicate doing this to a bunch of other people, and it it does rule. It's pretty good. Um, I liked that. Wait, actually, I do yeah. have one thing to say because every time. I get the vibe that Patrick is like trying to do the thing of like, but what if like D and D was real? Wouldn't that be fucked up? What if fantasy was real? Wouldn't that be fucked up? The all the other times he's done that have been incredibly mm. boring because it's boring. This is this is I'm like actually you did it, you did it for real and I love it. <laughs> yeah, because he committed for to the three bit. pages. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, it was really. I mean, good. it's like Patrick just Sorry, like Robin. sometimes stumbles into accidentally does things that are cool, but he doesn't. He doesn't understand what it is that actually works, I think. So like there's gonna be there's gonna be stuff that will work. But Listen, you write a you know, he doesn't have the consistency. <laughs> you write a thousand page and whatever novel you know, a broken clock is right twice a yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Patrick Rothfuss is good three pages of the time. Maybe four or five, because the steps steps was very sexy. That's true. Steps yeah, we did is my like boyfriend. That section. We did like that section, but I I will say like in in hindsight, Daniel like, didn't. <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, I'm not gonna say Daniel was right because <laughs> I have my pride, but <laughs> but in in hindsight, when this when this section started and it was like the mayor has another task for quote, I was like, oh, come on. Like it, it, I think I think the whole like mare stuff has like outworn its welcome so much that like it almost makes me like 
the parts where I liked, like, quote, being in that society it made me sour a little bit on that. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I'm out of content. I'm dreaming. Yeah, dry. same. Well, well, gamers, Pogging Monkey signing off. Pogging, Pogging Monkey. Monkey's Pog. Did you? Oh my god, Monkey's Pog. That's, that's my new username. Monkey's Pog. Oh. It's, it's not it's not um, pogging monkeys it's monkeys pog. yeah yeah like Mon- monkeys <laughs> possessive apostrophe pog no like plural mo- yeah, like it's, it, you don't say attorney generals you say attorneys general oh, oh monkeys, monkeys pog, pog so it's like one one pog but by seven what <laughs> so it's the pog is the is the descriptor for the monkeys <laughs> we're just inverting the word order so it's monkeys i see pog. okay all right, check in next week for the tale of the monkey's pog, in which we find out the terrible consequences of the pogging monkey. And um, sex fairy. Oh, and we read the fucking sex fairy chapters! Finally! Oh, yeah! I, <laughs> this is what everybody talks wait. about. I, I'm genuinely sorry. Like, I I was saying this when we... Or I was gonna say this when we started recording it. I said, all this time reading this, I was like, when are we finally getting to the fuck fairies? I want something to happen. So. <laughs> okay. You guys, if you guys have like the book on you, I just, 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 yeah. I'm looking at the book. If you open chapter ninety five and then just turn the page, yeah, I looked at it. Like, look at the second page. Don't even read it. Just look at it. Wait, so what is it? The page six hundred thirty one. Uh. Sounds great. I think this is gonna be great. This is gonna be a great chapter. Great episode. <laughs> <laughs> I am as taut as a lute string. Just gotta save it for next week. Sorry. But you should listeners all be taut as a lute string. Um, gird your loins, as it were. What the fuck does this sentence mean? And she is a stride me. And, well, what do you think it means? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pick it all apart next week. Next week. Next week. Sex fairy. Sex fairy. And there is Sex no. Sex fairy. <laughs> That's what they call me down the club. <laughs> they call me down the club. Ew. It's like you're like, hey, she she got that Faelurian something. something. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm always like this. <laughs> Yeah, I they're. Always uh, saying this. Right. I was saying, I'm like the fuck fairies from the wise man's sphere. <laughs> they're not looking at me like, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh. <laughs> Fucking bye. All right, bye. See you in the bye. road to Valerian's pussy. <laughs> <laughs>